If you're a parent, I think you would probably agree one of the greatest challenges in parenting is teaching your kids to obey, right? Just, just do what I ask you to do. It seems so simple when it comes out of your mouth as a parent, right? It's like instructions are clear, um, maybe consequences are clear, and then somewhere between coming out of your mouth and their response, something happens, and it doesn't get carried out exactly the way that, that you want it. And part of the reason is not just kids, all of us, we have this inner sense that we just know better, right? Like, I, I know better than everybody. I'm smarter than everybody else in the world. And the way I would do it is smarter than the way you're telling me to do it or what you're telling me is just dumb. And I know better than to do that. I'm going to do this other thing. Now, all of us do. And, and it doesn't like go away when you become an adult. We, we're constantly fighting with this, do I obey? Do I listen? Do I yield to the authority in my lives? And as parents, we're, we're, we're thinking, look, I, I know how this is going to turn out for you. And it's not good if you don't listen to me. Like I've, I've been down this road before. I know a few things that you don't know. And certainly, there are reasons to, to uh, have curiosity and, and question instruction sometimes. And that's a part of life too. But uh, as parents, we, we, we teach our kids to obey, not because we want to control them, Right? Not because we want to be the boss, even, hopefully, um, but more because we want to protect them. I want to keep them safe. And, and until they're at a point where they can make these decisions for themselves, we want to guide those decisions and, and, and getting them to, to trust that we really know what we're talking about. Um, it's, it's a lesson that God wants to teach His people. All throughout the Bible, God's trying to teach His people, like, trust me, like, I know what's best. Like, your life's going to work out better if you do it this way. Uh, relationships are going to work out better if you live within these guidelines and implement these principles in your life. Things are going to go so much better for you. And so all throughout Scripture, God's trying to teach people, just trust me. Just do what I say and then see how that works out. Just, just obey what I'm telling you. And <laughs> in particular, in the book of Joshua, it's like over and over and over again. God, in small things and in large things, kind of like parenting, right? Sometimes he asks just real simple little things that don't seem to be that consequential. And sometimes he asks like really, really big things. And, and I think there's a connection. I, I think often God asks for obedience in those small areas so that we, we build the habit of obedience when he asks for something that's not so small or, or not so easy to understand. Um, we, can, we can debate about how important it is that that my children stop when I tell them to stop or, or come to me when I ask them to come to me. Um, but there's not so much of a debate when they're running toward the road and a truck is coming, right? It's like really important at that point. It's not a small thing that when I say stop, they actually stop. And that, that habit gets formed in obeying the smaller things. We, we teach our kids uh, to uh, obey, respect authority, adults in their life, teachers in their life, coaches in their life. We, we try just like continual process. Hey, you, be respectful. You may not always agree. Be respectful. Uh, because one day they're going to sit in an interview and they're going to be looking for a job from somebody that's going to be in authority over them. And, and the degree to which they've learned to, to live under authority and, and what appropriate authority looks like 
is, is going to help them be successful or unsuccessful in that moment. There may be even be a time where they're going to be in authority over somebody. And so modeling, help, helping them understand this is, this is a healthy relationship with authority is getting them ready for that time. So all of these, <coughs> excuse me, all of these little opportunities to obey are, sound, are setting them up for what's going to be coming in the future. And that's what God's doing in, in the Bible. And in particular, we're studying Joshua. It's like over and over again, God's consistently saying, okay, do this. I want to see if you do it. Do this. I want to see if you do it. Do this. But, and there's always purpose. It's not like random things he's asking people to do. There's always purpose in those things. It is so much an element of the book of Joshua that if you pay careful attention to, to how it reads... There is what I call an obedient cycle that keeps showing up over and over again. It's fairly consistent in the book of Joshua. The obedient cycle goes something like this. God tells Joshua what he wants the people to do. That's step one. Then Joshua tells the people what God tells them to do. And then step three, the people do what God told Joshua to tell the people to do. And it's very repetitive in the book of Joshua. It's very laborious. Like, like it, it just keeps saying the same thing over again. God told Joshua this, and then Joshua told the people that, and then the people did what Joshua said. Example, we're in Joshua chapter 4, in verse 1. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, so if you were here last week, they go across the Jordan, they're moving into the promised land. That has now happened. Uh, river is still stopped up. The priest and the Ark of the Covenant still in the riverbed. Uh, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So, God says, pick out twelve guys. Joshua had actually already done that in chapter 3. And then chapter 4 tells us why. They're going to go in, they're going to pick up rocks, big rocks, and bring, up, bring them up out of the river. Now, not a real big challenge, right? Like, that's not like a, uh, something that's hard to do. Pretty simple. Go pick up a rock and bring it over here. So then in verse uh, 4, So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, <coughs> one from each tribe, and said to them, <coughs> Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of Israelites. It's exactly what God told him to do. So Joshua then tells the people, and I mean, we could have left the story there. Probably they're going to do that, but the Bible doesn't leave the story there. Verse 8, so the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. And again, I would have been fine right there. I know we've already said it twice. God told Joshua, go get a rock. Joshua told the people, go get a rock. I would have been fine with they did it. Right? I, I would have got the message. That's not what the Bible does. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. And this is not the only time it happens. It happens over and over again. This repetitive, laborious, God said this to Joshua. Joshua said that same thing to the people. The people did that thing, and they write it all out. Like, I could have made the Bible a lot shorter if they would left it up to me, because I'm like, we got it. Like, we know, we got it. Another example, verse 15. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant law to come up out of the Jordan. 
Verse 16. So Joshua commanded the priest, come up out of the Jordan. Verse 17. And the priest came up out of the river carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. It's like, you could have made this a lot shorter. You could just cut to the chase. They did it. But God's trying to send a message here. God's saying, look, when I command, the only response is to obey. Fully, immediately. Whatever I said, then you do that thing that I said. And I realize God speaking to us and giving us His commands are a lot different today than they were for Joshua, right? God's speaking through a leader, one person. God doesn't do that anymore. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. So the Holy Spirit's communicating with all of us individually. Not only that, we do have the whole Bible. So there's tons of stuff in there. God's been really clear about, just said, don't do this, don't do this, do this, do this, live this way, carry this out. And what God's asking now is just, just do it, right? Just, just do those things. And sometimes I'm just going to ask you to pick up a rock, and it's going to be great. And I'll tell you what it's for later. Just pick up a rock. It's not that big a deal. Grab a rock, take it over to the other side of the shore. And then sometimes God's going to ask for things that are going to be difficult. We're, we're going to question. We're going to push back. For example, when we get to chapter 5, they're over in the promised land. The rocks have been picked up and they've been carried over there. We'll get back to that in just a minute. And then God asked for something else at the beginning of chapter 5. Now, if you didn't grow up in church, if you didn't hear all the Old Testament stories, what I'm about to tell you is going to sound really, really bizarre because it is really, really bizarre. Uh, those of us who grew up in church, we're just used to how bizarre our faith story is and our religious history is. But this is bizarre. In the Old Testament, God comes to His people, first through Abraham, and He says, uh, we're going to be in covenant with one another, and covenant language was really important in the Old Testament, and there were symbols of covenant and, and certain expectations when you entered into a covenant, and God said, this is going to be our symbol right here. Uh, all the men have to be circumcised. And Abraham said, Seriously? God said, yeah, all of them. Abraham didn't think this was a great idea. But God says, this is our covenant, and this is what's going to set you apart from all the other uh, people because this wasn't a common practice at the time. And there were reasons. We won't go into all the possible reasons why God chose this particular sign. But this was God's sign. He said, Look, just obey me. You're going to do this. And so Abraham does. And, and God says, all right, now you're just supposed to do this. Um, when, when males are born, then just take care of it early. They won't remember it, and that's much better. And so they start this practice. The problem was they would go through seasons in the nation's history where they would forget this. They forget this sign that God gave them. And so they'd go years sometimes, ignoring it. When we get to chapter 5 in the promised land, they have ignored this command for 40 years. The whole time they've been wandering in the wilderness, and part of it's Moses' fault. There's another story there, but part of it's Moses' fault. They just stopped doing it, which means they were disobeying God. And so God comes to them, just as they get over the Jordan River into enemy territory, right? Everybody there hates them. Everybody in the land doesn't want them in there. And God says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to incapacitate all the fighting men. First step, 
Notice what Joshua does. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives, circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites. He obeyed. See, here's the thing about obedience from God's perspective. Obedience is more important than strategy. Not that strategy is a bad thing. It's just obedience comes first. As a matter of fact, I think what God's teaching is obedience is the strategy. Like until you obey, it doesn't matter what your strategy is. I mean, they needed some military strategy, and they, they'll have some as we get into the story. But God's saying, look, it doesn't matter what your military strategy is if you're not obeying me. Let, let's clear up the obedience issue first. Because for 40 years, you decided that you knew better than me. And I want to take care of this before we go into battle. Before I ride into battle with you, I've got to know that you obey me. Obedience is more important than strategy. The other problem we have, we often want to play the situation card when it comes to obedience. Like, okay, if you'll just give me a little time, I'm going to get to that. I'm going to clear that up in my life. I just, it's not a good time for me, which is exactly what they probably said when Joshua gave them these news, this news, right? Say, so, uh, couldn't we win the battle and then do that? But obedience is the battle, right? Like obedience is the thing God's most concerned about. So, sometimes we say, well, you know, circumstances today aren't what they were 50 years ago. Or like in the Bible. We're not living in the Bible times. Circumstances are different. Today. Look, obedience is more important than strategy. Obedience is more important than circumstances too. It's more important than, well, just this one time. Well, if I could just get through this. Well, God, right now is not a good time for me. God's never asking whether it's a good time. God's saying, this is, this is what I ask of you. Will you obey or are you not going to obey. They did it. You see, in our lives, whether it's something as simple as picking up a rock or something much more difficult, God desires obedience from His people. Obedience doesn't save us, and things that we do don't save us. We're saved by God's grace, but when we become a part of the family, and that's who God's talking to, when we become a part of of the Christian community, of followers of Jesus, God's saying, look, I want you to trust me. I want you to obey me. I want you to really follow what I have to say. Interesting bit of trivia. The place where this happened took on a very interesting name. Joshua made flint knives. This is verse 3. Circumcised the Israelites at Gibeoth Ha'aralot, which means nothing to us. It's it's Hebrew. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, right? Just a hint. When you come to those words, say them confidently, and everybody thinks you know how to pronounce them, okay? Nobody knows how to pronounce them. It's a dead language, right? Nobody knows how they said it. Nobody recorded that Moses saying these words or Joshua. So, Gibeoth Ha'araloth is the name. Now, some of you, if you have like a, a, a hard copy Bible, we used to have those a long time ago. If you have one of those and it has a footnote, it tells you at the bottom what that means. And if you don't have the footnote, I'll tell you what it means. They called this the Hill of the Foreskins. I'm not making this up. It's in the Bible. 
like we go to Stone Mountain? <laughs> Apparently, they said, hey, kids, we're going on a picnic, too. I don't know if they had a laser show. I don't know, how to, I don't know what all they did here. But this is what they called that place, that mountain, that hill. <laughs> that. Now, in the Bible, in particular the Old Testament, God had people name things based on what happened there, obviously. Okay, we're going to call this this from now on because God did this here. Okay, we're going to call this place this because this is what we learned about God here. And there was a, there was a, a street strategic purpose for that. The purpose was so that you would remember what happened there. Like every time you said that, you would remember there's a story. And like if there's any place you're going to remember, it's this one, right? <laughs> every time you say, this is the hill of, you're going to remember the story. Every time you're with somebody who wasn't there, you made a new friend and you guys are walking along and they go, hey, what's the name of that place? And you tell them, you're going to go, okay, let me explain. Let me explain. Every time. God wants us to remember. God, God wanted His people, every time they saw this place, to remember how important obedience was to Him. And to remember, you obeyed, and notice what happened. Look at what happened when you obeyed. In verse 1, if you go back and read it, you'll find that God was already protecting them. He had caused all of the kings in the whole land to be fearful of the nation of Israel, so nobody was going to attack them. Now, the people didn't know that when they obeyed God. They just knew we're supposed to obey, and God had already taken care of that. God was already protecting them if they obeyed. And when they saw that mountain, when they named that mountain, when they said that word, God wanted them to remember. Remember what I did. Remember why this place is important. Remember what happened, how you started trusting me more because you obeyed me, how you followed my command. Remember what happened in you at this particular place. God's really big about remembering, mainly because he knows we tend to forget. Like we have this great thing and then time goes by and we, we forget what he did. We forget what happened. We forget a moment. We forget something that happened in our hearts. Life just kind of moves forward and and we forget this is going to be a problem for the nation of Israel. Just kind of a spoiler alert. As much as God's trying to get them to remember, when we get to the next book of the Bible, the book of Judges, they forget. Judges chapter 2. Joshua, same Joshua. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at timnath Harez in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. Next verse. Verse 10, chapter 2, Judges after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. So the whole generation that saw what God did at the Jordan River, they've died. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what He had done for Israel. The problem was we don't remember. And God said, pick up a rock, name a mountain. Don't forget. Remember. For the, if not for you, for the generation that's coming after you. Say to them, this is what God has done. 
This is where God spoke to me. This is how God has changed me. This is a time that we prayed and saw God move. Have these conversations with your kids and your grandkids and your nieces and nephews. Point them to mountains and places and times and say, God did something here. Those rocks that they picked up, that was the whole purpose of picking up those rocks. Uh, Back in chapter 4, verse 5, we read, Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you in the future when your children ask you, What do those mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Pick up a rock and put it down and make a pile so that every time you walk by it with your kids, you can say, let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you why I trust God. Let me tell you why I believe in God. Let me tell you why I obey God. Because there was a moment in my life where I saw God come through. And yeah, there are a lot of times that I wonder where God is, just like you do. And I struggle to know what God's up to. But I know that God was in this moment in my life. And I want to forget it. God wants us to remember. You're talking about just showing up. Like just like getting counted. That is incredibly important when we're speaking of the next generation. I mean, we need moms and dads and and coaches and mentors and, and teachers and aunts and uncles and grandparents who will show up in the life of the next generation and point them to God and point them to truth. Probably like, like no other time in our lifetime. With the direction and movement of our culture, we need moms and dads and adults and children's workers and youth leaders who will consistently say, let me tell you why I trust God. Let me tell you the times that I remember. And I don't know how exactly, there are a lot of ways to work that into your family, but it's got to be worked in. And our children have to know, this matters to me. This is important to me. This is priority To me, this is one of the ways, coming together and worshiping is one of the ways we communicate to our kids. This is important to us. This matters to us. God is first in our lives. We need those. Remember. Remember. We need big piles of rocks and mountains that we name and meals that we eat to help us remember. God put all of these in the Bible. Big piles of rocks, mountains that we name, and even meals that we eat. God said, look, there are times I want you to come together, I want you to eat together, and I want you to remember this when you eat. I I want you to remember what I did here. And there are a lot of those in the Bible. Probably the most famous one is Passover. And we we swerve into Passover at the end of chapter 5, verse 10. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the mountains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. First time they celebrated in the Promised Land. Very first time. It had been 40 years since they first celebrated Passover in Egypt. And they'd wandered in the wilderness. They crossed the Jordan River. And right after they get there, and they're obedient to God, they celebrate. They remember what God had done. They remember how he had brought them out of Egypt, how he had spared them. 
They remembered. This is a gift from God. This is God saying, I don't want you to forget. Do this. It, it, it was not just a remembrance of the past. and in, in many ways, it was a transition moment for the Hebrew children. Look at verse 11. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. If you know the story, God's been providing bread, this wafer substance, every morning, and they would gather it, and and they would eat it. And once they get into the promised land and they celebrate the Passover, it stops because God's provision was now going to come from the land. It's like you have left the wilderness, you have left the past, and you are moving into a brand new future. It's a transition moment. Thousands of years later, Jesus was going to come. He was going to lay down his life. He was going to die. He was going to rise again. And he was going to say, remember this. Mark this. Mark this regularly by eating bread and and drinking. Remember. My body's going to be broken. My blood's going to be shed. Remember this. And do this regularly. Or else you'll forget. You'll go on with your life. Priorities will crowd me out. Remember. And let that remembrance be a a transition for you. I, I think every time we come to the table, it's another opportunity, like the Hebrew children. It's another opportunity to leave the past behind. And to look to what God's doing in the future. Look to where God's taking us. Where God is moving us. So we're going to remember today, not with a pile of rocks, not with a mountain that we name. We're going to remember with the table that Jesus came and became the Passover lamb for us, became our redemption. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to to invite you to remember, not to go through a ceremony or, or carry out a tradition, but remember. Remember that you've been brought out of a wilderness. You've been given a new life in Christ. You've been forgiven. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you've committed your life to Christ, you are welcome to celebrate this with us. You don't have to be a member of Journey. We welcome you to come and celebrate this and remember with us what Christ has done for us. Let's pray. God, in this moment of our greatest, most sincere act of remembering, we remember that Christ came and lived and died and rose again. And like the Hebrew children, because of that, we were brought out of wilderness. We were brought out of lostness. The New Testament says we were brought out of deadness. And we were given life. Help us to remember today. And help us to see it as a transition, a transition to what you have next for us, the provision that you're giving next for us, the direction, the purpose that you're giving next for us. God, we thank you for Christ, that our sin has been rolled away in him.
and that we have eternal life. Help us not to forget. Help us not to get so busy and and caught up in all of the things that we have to do or accomplish or be that we forget the greatest thing we have is our eternal life in Christ. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. There are two tables at the front.